This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined as always by Manchester United legend Paul Parker to talk over um, the last couple of weeks at Manchester United because we missed, obviously, last week's episode. Um, if you're watching live, please like and subscribe. We'll do that if you're watching um, the replay as well. If you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to get your questions in. If you're watching the replay, um, like I said, hello, uh, do still feel free to comment. We do reply. Um, yeah, and if you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to give us a review and rating on the platform you're listening on. Oh, Paul, right. First of all, how have you been? How have you been? I've been not too bad at all, Wayne. Not too bad. Obviously, I saw the game at the weekend, and then I was at Crystal Palace yesterday and watched a really good game, but a really good ending as well. It finished incredible. When that yeah. goal at the end, it was fantastic to be there. Um, let's talk over, before we talk about the Norwich game, let's talk over the um, the start to life under Ralph Ragnick. Obviously, since we last did the podcast, it's been confirmed that he was the manager and then he's taken charge of three games. The first two of those, um, two 1-0 wins, uh, well, sorry, a 1-0 win and a 1-1 draw. Um, the second league game being that second 1-0 win. Um, it's a difficult one, Paul, because, I mean, in the past when I've talked about the... Um, the decrease in new manager bounces, what we've seemed to have with United, they, we don't tend to have them like other clubs. I know that people always talk about the Ollie, um, the start to his reign and all the wins that we had. But I think if you, I've always said this, if you go back and look at the, um, look at the actual run of good performances, it wasn't that long. It was possibly a game and a half. We played, I think, obviously Cardiff in the first game, but then we played Huddersfield, the Boxing Day, and played probably good for half of that game. And then the rest of it, they were good perform- uh, good results, but not necessarily great performances. And we sort of saw that against Palace. We sort of like saw half an hour of like this new intensity, and then it sort of dropped back into the norm. Like for it's difficult when you look at the one-one draw in the Champions League and all those changes. I was just wondering how you saw the first two games because obviously um, it started well. It seemed to start well, and then it sort of dropped off to what we've been seeing this season. 
Um, <clears throat> I'm just seeing it as results, to be perfectly honest. That's all I'm seeing. I'm, I'm not seeing great performances. I'm, you know, I've been, you know, you've been hearing about this system wants to play. Everybody's a fountain of knowledge about this man, and and in theory, majority of them haven't really got a clue. They're just picking up bits off of everyone else. Um, I'm seeing a system that he's trying to play, which I think doesn't really suit the personnel that he's putting out there. I saw Sancho at the weekend, and Sancho is about starting wide and coming inside. He looked, he played very narrow, looked lost. I'm seeing Marcus Rashford. He's been lost for a while, still playing, not being, still playing, playing poorly, still, still starting games. I look, Mason Greenwood needs games, young player. And as I said a thousand times, I, I live in that world of believing in a man that when he talks about young players and when they're on a, on a, on a roll, you keep playing them. They need to play, they need to feel wanted, they need to gain confidence, and that is by playing games. Mason Greenwood is that man, but he's got someone playing in front of him who shouldn't be playing. He mostly in his head's thinking, hold on a minute, not playing well. You think to yourself, Ronaldo, could he be, could he be, could you get more from Ronaldo if he's playing with someone who can think in the same wavelengths as him, like Mason Greenwood, someone who can improvise a bit like Mason Greenwood, but will get better with that if he plays with better players? The answer to that is yes. But it's not, it's playing someone like Marcus Rashford who needs to step away. Think about what he really wants in life and what's most important. Remember what got him to where he was, what's got him to what he's doing off the field and knows that he should then understand that he needs to become a better footballer than what he is at this moment in time because he's falling away from the levels that he sets. So Manchester United are losing up, up, up front. They're losing out of getting more from Ronaldo. Ronaldo can push himself, but he needs help. He needs more help now from other people where before he could take a game on his own, but now he needs help to get the best out of him. And that's being in that attacking third with more players around him, more players who know how to find him and he can maybe find them. I look at it defensively and I think already, I think we know that he there's, it could be a hunt on if it's not in the summer, sorry, if it's not in January in the summer, maybe for fullbacks, yeah. in my opinion. I think he's made his mind up about Luke Shaw. I don't know if Tellez is going to be the man, but at the moment, I think he's made his mind up. And there was a thing he said a few a while ago about need, Manchester United need a left back. And he said that at, at another time, many, yeah. um, quite a few months back, he said that when he talked about Manchester United. He, he didn't see anything there. I just, as I said, as I said at the top of it, the system doesn't suit the players he's playing. To play, still keep playing two holding players with that kind of system, I, I find that a little bit, still a bit strange. In two players, I shouldn't say holding players, two players who are limited in what they can do to go forward. One of them, Fred, it's suiting him. It's suiting Fred. You've seen Fred who pushing on more. Fred is looking more positive in the way he's playing and what he's looked in a long, long while. There seems to be consistency with his game. And you can talk about Scott McTominay and you can you can maybe look at stats, but if you look at the game, there's nothing coming from him. Nothing coming. Everything is control. Side was control. Back. 
if it's going forward, it's a safe forward. Um, so I'm not, I'm not seeing anything different, but, but then again, I don't really, you know, if I'm going to see a difference, there has to be something outstanding because I think there's a lot of people out, out there like me, they're scared of, they're scared now of full storms. This Man United have had so many full storms over since 2013. It's not even worth even, even thinking about getting to the edge of the seat at this moment in time because you don't know what's going to happen maybe next week in the next or the next game, I should say. Yeah. It is, I mean, I think probably the most, um, and I'll talk about some of the things that you've talked about in a minute um, with the fullbacks and stuff like that in the midfield. But in terms of what we're going to pick out from what we've seen from the manager in the first few weeks, probably the defensive resolve. It looks a little bit more organised. But, I mean, how much is that down to the system? How much is that down to the fact that they couldn't get much worse than what they were? Do you know what I mean? It's a couple of those things, you know, they do look more organised in terms of, yeah, they haven't really looked like scoring a lot of goals, but at the same time, they haven't really looked like conceding a lot. Um, having said that, obviously it required uh, De Gea to, to pull us out of the, the mire on Saturday. Let, let's talk about the Norwich game then. Um, familiarly flat, um, decided by a late penalty, United getting a win they scarcely deserved. Um, it was a weird game, Paul, because, I mean, again, this is a team who were bottom of the league. They didn't look particularly inspired. Um, before he came off, Lindelof looked suspect against Puke, which is always concerning when you've got that kind of mismatch from the forward in the bottom team um, bullying you in the way they did. Um, having said that, we still looked fairly... I don't I don't know what the quite the the right word is for it because it, it was flat not as concerning as the um as the the games where we've seen all the the goals conceded obviously but at the same time when you wanted to see a boost and you wanted to see these players step up and do something more they didn't do it um I was when I was summarizing it for the for the website I was trying to think of which <coughs> Be positive about it and thinking, well, maybe they were this new intensity in training sort of took it out of them on a match day. Um, do you think I'm being a little bit generous um, with that? Because it was a flat performance. It, it, it was flat, and when when you as best you can, you're trying to think yourself. You don't want to say a negative, but you, if you don't say it, then you're you're shying away from it. I mean, I think, I think that's a crime as well in certain ways. But to come away from Carroll Road and say that your goalkeeper was man of the match, and yeah. if you didn't want to name the goalkeeper, you could say Fred. Yeah. And that was it. You know, David De Gea was the man of the match, and that's like the bad old days, you know, when he was winning player of the year and he was Manchester United. Goalkeepers shouldn't be winning player of the year for Manchester United. It doesn't matter. We've had some great goalkeepers, whatever. Peter Schmeichel, you know, yeah. the best goalkeeper. But Peter Schmeichel never won a player of the year. Yeah. You know, and Peter Schmeichel would mostly accept it. But then Peter Schmeichel, if he had won it, he would have turned around and said, I won it, but I'm not playing for a very good team then, am I? Yeah. You know, which is a a big problem. David De Gea made incredible saves. Incredible saves he made there. You know, he's backed. I'm not saying he's backed, but it's it's him. And that's what what he'd done. But it it was poor. In, in the way they defended, they were getting cut open. <clears throat> they was getting cut open by a team that, that you know, 
was bottom of the league. And a team that was missing a few players, more than a few players, because of COVID. Yeah. They they took it on that game. They could have tried their best to not to not play the game, but they took it on. Yeah. And maybe the reason why they had to take it on is maybe the, the league weren't as favourable to them because they're Norwich, yeah. to be honest, really. Yeah. But they took it on and for me, and I think everyone else and all those people who travelled from you know all from all over the country to watch United play in Norfolk, they most everyone went away saying loved it that United won. But if they'd have walked if we'd have gone back and going back home and we'd had a point, we would have we would have taken the point knowing that that's all we deserved, in yeah. my opinion. That's that's the way it was. They didn't deserve they got more than what they deserved out of their game. And I'm sure if the coach at the moment time, if he's not if he's going to come out and say that in his post, you know, when he's talking between now and the next game, and he isn't talking in the same vein as me, and he's he's gone too many degrees higher than what I'm saying, then he's not the right man. Because I think people need someone who's going to be honest about everything. Now they want honesty. They want some. They don't want somebody who's going to, you know, come out and milk things, put on rose-tinted glasses, thinking that he's fooling people. Because again, that that wasn't right. That wasn't Manchester United. And I think if you're going to play formations or system as much as it's been in your life, this system, I think you have to know that if you haven't got the right personnel to play it, you can't play it. You're going to have to go and do something else until you can get those right people in. Yeah. Um, Red Guitarist says, good morning, guys. I believe it's going to take some time for this team to pick up Ragnik's ideas. There's also the process of de-olifying this team, so to speak. Two clean sheets and two wins is decent. Yeah, I've gone on record of saying this, Paul. Um, not so much deolifying, um, but certainly if you go back a couple of managers, Van Gaal was the first manager to bring in this sort of reactivity rather than proactivity. You know, in fact, no, it's probably more Mourinho who did that. You'd say because at least when Van Gaal was there we dominate games and do nothing with it. Like, can you remember the game where we played at Chelsea? That was Mourinho's Chelsea as well, where we had something like 70% of the ball and then they had one shot and scored. Um, that that sort of typified what we were doing. So it's a long process to get out of that. I mean, Mourinho, um, very early on, wasn't it, when we played at Anfield and he made all those changes and made it like a 4-3-3, which was very pragmatic, basically. And he was saying I was going for a nil-nil. Um and it's been a long time to get out of that because when you're playing games to not lose, which United were doing, and I don't think uh, we, now we've got the benefit of hindsight, we can look at all these three years in charge and say that, you know, obviously he lacks the experience as a manager to be able to change that mindset, even though obviously what he represents as a, a player like you, you represent something and you know that you're always playing to win. It's difficult to just because you are that as a player, it's difficult to get that across as a manager. And obviously, Oli wasn't able to do that. Um, is that the, the pro process that we're in at the moment? Trying to sort of, is it is it right to say that it's going to be a long term process to sort of change this mindset of we're not just we're not sitting back and um, let you know what I mean? Closing, what's the right word? Being being proactive instead of reactive. It's a difficult process to turn around. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I really, I really do. But I look at it, and, you know, what the um, red guitarist is saying in front of you. Hey, I get that. And you, you want to talk about it, two clean sheets and two wins is decent. If you look at it that way, that's fine. But 
But if you're a team who wants to sit in the middle of the table or bottom of the league, and you suddenly go and get those get those bits, those clean sheets and two wins, you, you shout about it all day long. But we're talking about Manchester United. And Manchester United have to be better than statements like that. Yes, there were two wins, but they were poor performances. They could have maybe have lost that game if it wasn't for the goalkeeper. So if you so you have to come out and say, well, yeah, a win, but it wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough. And I, and at the moment, yes, Ollie was in charge a few weeks back. Now someone else is coming over. Now he wants to implement his side of things and how he wants his football played. But you still expect still better than that with the players that are named on that bit of paper in that in that team. You look at that, you look at the value of them, you look at what they're being paid, you look at the levels where they are for for um for their for their national teams, look at everything, and that wasn't that wasn't good enough. Those Norwich fans expected to see Manchester United come to their place and actually show the reason why Norwich were bottom and the reason why Manchester United are still sitting where they're sitting in the league. Even though they've had problems, they're wait they're waiting to see a difference. That's what they're waiting for. There would have been fans there who would have remembered that game in 92-93 and remembered after 20 minutes that they they wanted to go home, really, in theory, but they, they'd rather stay and watch the football they was watching that evening. Yeah. So so that wasn't good enough, Wayne. And I don't, you know, I don't care what people say. And when people say to me, a win is a win, that's Norwich City. A win is a win, isn't Manchester United? That's a that's a cop out. That's an easy way. That just wasn't good enough. And when I see the other teams play football, when I see how they win games, I'm saying to myself, Manchester United are way off at this yeah. moment in time. Because those teams, a win is a win, doesn't come into it. Does not yeah. come into it. Sir Alex Ferguson would not accept that. He would not have come out and said, well, it's just about getting over the line, just getting the win. No chance. You know, he had us out running after games sometimes when we won because the yeah. performances were poor. And that's the kind of standards that he set about it. Don't accept a win is a win. I was, I was doing that mostly when I was playing for QPR. I must have been doing that. I've forgotten about it because I had five years at Manchester United and it was drummed out of me. A win isn't just a win. Football's about entertainment. People pay money for entertainment. People don't turn up to watch Dower football and to, oh, at least we won. You ain't going to, in the end, you're going to say, what's the point in spending my hundreds of pounds, maybe my thousands of pounds, just to kind of go, a win is a win. You go there and you bring people along because you want them, you want to take them with you because you want them to be entertained. You want them to say, I want to go again. Not say, oh, thanks for going. It's great that your team won. And then you can't get them on the phone again. So yeah. that's Manchester United. And as you know, Wayne, there's a quote from Sir Alex Ferguson regarding Manchester United and entertainment, isn't there? Yeah, Paul, I, I would say like the the more um, generous of us towards this team would also say that, um, that, that generous of us in terms of we're just supporters of the team would also sort of say, yeah, I know that you played for a great United side who had that different philosophy, and this side is a long way away from that team who were able to blow Norwich out of the water like we did in 92-93, because really that was 
a pinnacle of football, really, in terms not a pinnacle, but that was that team at its best, doing things that um, other teams couldn't do. But you, you're completely right in terms of we've had four and a half years, and I say four and a half, I'm saying the Van Gaal and Mourinho eras of of yeah, trying to just win for the sake of winning and like trying to make that a self-fulfilling thing. And and it was never consistent enough to justify it being that miserable, which is why both managers were sacked. We saw a manager come in who didn't think like that. I think Ollie didn't think of just winning for the sake of winning. He wanted to entertain as well. But obviously, as we said earlier and we said elsewhere, he just liked the experience to do it as a manager and you know, and so we're back at square one. The only thing that I said, the only thing, one thing I'm really trying to sort of <coughs> grasp in terms of wanting to feel positive about it, Paul, is that you know, these changes are gradual, and maybe you know, yes, I know it's a system that he's put in because he's you know, he's the manager, he's come in, he's said, Oh, I'm gonna put in um, this new system, you're gonna adapt to that just because it's the system that I'm familiar with. I'm not saying that it'll be a long-term success, or maybe it will, maybe it won't, but that it's like an emergency situation for us. Not an emergency formation, but an emergency situation where we're not going to see trees being pulled up. We're not going to see like massive pronounced changes in form at the moment. Maybe that's for the best. Maybe it's for the best that we see this gradual change. I'm being a little bit too optimistic with that. I know, I know where you're going, and we are talking about this, you know, this system he wants to play, and it's everyone's saying, oh, you know, all this about it, and it's, you know, this new thing with Ralph. Southampton play that system, you know. Southampton have been doing it the moment they're um the moment their new manager their manager arrived. That's the system they play. No one's raved about Southampton as they play this. It's four, two, two, whatever they want to call it, and all the twos, whatever. No one's talked about that. But ever since it's Ralph, it's a new, it's a new thing. It's a, it's a new skinny jeans, you know. It's oh, look, it's great, you know. He's doing this, it's, and I, I don't know if it's going to work. I will say, personnel is key, absolute key to what he wants to do. And if you're going to play that system. I'm looking at Sancho, and I thought to myself, right now he's getting regular football, but he's not, not where, not in the, not in the, in the formation that he's used to, not in the best areas where he wants to start and yeah. feel comfortable. So I really don't know what he's going to do. I want to see him play players who he feels can play that system, and not play players because he feels he has to play them at this moment in time. I think. Maybe he's got caught up in something, but I'm looking out there and there's players who maybe shouldn't be on that field at this moment in time who need who need to step away and you know refresh and then come out with a different outlook. Yeah. Um, Red guitarist did say earlier on in the show um, about um, Bruno and Rashford's form, and we mentioned it earlier, like right at the top about Rashford, and you talked about Greenwood coming in. But you look at that system, the front line, it's almost perfectly set up for Cavani, isn't it? You know, Cavani to be that pressing forward, um, you would imagine that he's the perfect person to sort of play that role. He would. Um, you said that you mentioned Cavani, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, well, 
the problem we've got with Cavani at the moment, it seems like the media are trying to say he wants to leave, is willing to take a pay cut to leave in January. So he hasn't been entertained the right way. <clears throat> From the moment he signed that contract and the moment Oli was handed that big parcel in the summer of um, Ronaldo, yeah. then it's, it's all kind of falling out of bed. And Cavani finished the season as a hero. Yeah. But he hasn't been treated in the manner in which he deserved, really, the opportunity to be playing regular regular football. He hadn't come to Manchester United to be a bit part player. Mm. He's a long way from home. Um, so now I don't know if he's seen his home as Italy or he's seen his home as Uruguay, but still he's, a, he's away from home. He, he wants to be playing football, wants to be involved. Um, this, this system could suit him. It could be him and Ronaldo as the two, yeah. the two at the top. If in theory, you could be calling it a 4-2 cross. I'm, I'm losing track with numbers here, but in virtue, you could have those two. Because when we played in when I was playing and Eric come along, it become like a, a four, you know, it come like a 4-4-1-1. Yeah. So it could be something like that, him in and around Ronaldo and those two working together. Two really experienced players who could really bounce off of each other. Improvisation would be incredible. It'd be like what it'd be looking. It'd be like virtually making up a science project. What would be going up there? It'd be amazing. But, it's, but at the moment, Cavani doesn't seem, or the press is saying he's not happy. He wants to move on. Now, I would like to see Cavani start games. I would yeah. like to see him. You know, and if he was now, if he was playing, and Mason Greenwood was on the bench behind him, I would say Mason Greenwood. Maybe you could watch a bit. Watch the way he runs. Watch when he touches the ball, when he has more than two touches because there's a reason behind it. Doesn't overplay. Maybe you can watch him, but Mason Greenwood watching Marcus Rashford, blimey. I would pull the curtains in front of Mason Greenwood and say, don't, because you're watching someone who keeps running into cul-de-sacs, finding a bunch of people, the biggest crowd in the world, and running into it with the ball at your feet and hoping you can get through. You know, shambolic at the moment in time, and it needs a breather. But Cavani, all, all day long, I would like to see him given opportunity, even if it means he comes in for Ronaldo and he plays up there, maybe with Mason Greenwood, just something different. If he's going to mix it up, that'll be fine for me. And give Cavani a run and say to Ronaldo, you need to just step out a little bit and look at that. I think that's what he needs. And that's how he could set his stall out as this interim, interim manager and come in and say, I'm going against what's kind of been a poor norm at this club since 2013. Um, talk about the fullbacks quickly. I mean, obviously, he came in, he's changed both of them, whether or not, I mean, Wan-Bissaka had an injury and Shaw had the concussion, so maybe those were initially forced on him, but it looks like they're the preferred, you know, Dallow and, and Tellers. But I think what... You said it earlier, Paul. He mentioned, obviously, he's gone on record at some earlier point before he came to United, Ralph, and he, he talks about, you know, buying a new left-back. United needed a new left-back. But I know Dallow's been, what, fair? You would say fair. He, he's had an involvement in, in games. But you can still see that United, you know, if, if that's the full-back choice now, Dallow and Tellers, they still need... <laughs> they need two new fullbacks, don't they? If that's the the way that we're going, um, if we're going to be brutally honest about it, that's probably where we are. Well, I'm looking at the system, and I think everyone out there, when you look at that system, you go, "Blimey, that, that an half narrow." So what you're saying is virtually when you've got 
players who want to be wide, like a Sancho, <clears throat> like a Mason Greenwood, who wired to come in. You're virtually saying, right, you're asking them to tuck in. So what you want, you want fullbacks who can go up and down. And But then what you're looking for is that bit of quality at the end. Yeah. So they can join in and that bit at the end. Dallo has got more quality in the final third. So you wish what you want, you'd want the energy and the legs of a one per second. And then the moment he gets over that halfway line, you want him to morph into a Dallo yeah. and get that little bit of quality. That's what you want. So he's looking for a change on that right-hand side, I think. I don't think Dallo is the one, to be perfectly honest. I don't think I don't think he's the one if, if that's what he's looking for. At the moment in time, maybe Luke Shaw. There's no guarantee what you're going to get with Luke Shaw. He's up and down, not just in performances. I mean, everywhere. Yeah. So he's looking there, and he's not. He's not a comfortable runner. He's having to work so hard to get up and back. I think he's looking at the long game and saying he's not going to. He's not going to be able to fulfil it for me. I'm not sure if he's got that about him to get up and back and play my system, the system he wants. So fullbacks, I think, you know, United are going to have to go. He's going to want to, he's going to try and say, I want to go out and get fullbacks. Does he have to go and spend fortunes on them? I don't believe he's that kind of manager who believes that he has to go and do that. German managers, German teams don't really in general spend fortunes on players. They nurture them. They make players, as we've seen already. They make them and they sell them out for big money because those players become very disciplined in the way they play and their life, you know, their life objectives as well. So they mean they're good. They're good people to have around your squad, your teams, because you know that you can trust them. You know they'll give you everything they've got. You know they're going to do what you want. And with Luke Shaw, I don't think you've got that with him because he's not disciplined in the way he looks after himself. Wan-Bissaka is disciplined in a certain way, but the problem is I don't think he can give Ralph what he wants for Manchester United. He's a good, he's a good Premier League player, but I think Wan-Bissaka, and now you have to see it, it has to be proven as you're looking at it, for a side like where Manchester United want to go, unless he can improve drastically, I would say he's not that player to go that next level to where Manchester United should be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. The, the point I always make with this is, um, and maybe it's too generous to the managers, I always look back at the early Fergie years and the players that he brought in in the first sort of three or four years, the ones who weren't around for the title winning side, the, the likes of which, you know, the players that you came in to replace. Cause he was doing transitions within the transition, basically. So he obviously brought in Jim Layton to play in goal for a little bit. But then Schmeichel came in. He brought in Mal Donaghy. He brought in Mick Phelan. And Mick Phelan, obviously, was around the title-winning squad. But you've got the likes of Donaghy. Um, other players like that, Webb, Wallace, all these kind of players who were squad players who, who, who ultimately you wouldn't say you'd build a title-winning team around. <coughs> and I'm not saying that United could afford to be in that position when you're spending £50 million on a fullback. I just mean that People look at that. People look at a fifty million pound fullback and they say, "Oh well, United should be challenging now." And maybe they should. Maybe that is the point. But I always look back and say, "Well, it's not an automatic process. One doesn't follow the other just because you think that." 
he's not still you can't make him what he isn't just because of the price tag that he's got. And you've talked about that plenty of times before. He's still buying the player. The player has got that those qualities. He's not changing the qualities that he's got just because of the price that you're paying for him that you that you want him to be. And unfortunately, we've seen it with Aaron Maguire as well, eighty million pounds, and and there's a big question mark over whether um, you can imagine him in a title winning United side. You know, um, that's just the brutal fights of it. You know, United are going to be in a position where they're going to have to upgrade in certain positions, um, and it doesn't matter how much they cost, and it doesn't matter where they took United in terms of the arguable process uh, progress that we've had in, in the last sort of four years or so. Um, I've got another question in here. Um, Wayne, given Ralph's proposed two years stint further down the line, are we moving towards modernising the club? And if that's the case, does this restructuring stand in conflict with the United DNA? This is in reference to an article I wrote on the website about United's DNA for what it's worth. Um, and I, basically what I did, Paul, I wrote, I went through right back to day one with Matt Busby, what the club's philosophy is. And, you know, you can complicate it as much as you want, but it really always comes back to three things. It's entertaining football, which you said, that's the primary principle of United. Doing that with youth, um, bringing in um, young players and having a core of youth players in there. And then the third is winning trophies, which is obviously um, a principle that was set in by Busby winning things with it. So the, the, those are the key principles of United. And people can talk about systems and they can talk about all these kind of things. But the fact of the matter is that the club has always moved with the times. It's always changed um, the systems because the systems in football change. I mean, the, the first Busby sides had the... Th- Three, two, five—you know the five-man forward line, because that was the system in football then. And then it changed. The most prominent comparison is probably the era that you remember of United, the earlier ones of Doherty's four-two-four, which was basically the side that you played in as well. You played exactly the same kind of shape, didn't you? You know, with the whip flying wingers, you basically had the same shape, and that's really the strongest comparison between eras. I mean, Atkinson played that as well with wingers. That's the long. That's the strongest comparison that you've got. But even Fergie changed it up later in, in his time there. It's four three three and all that sort of stuff. We're, we're going away. I mean, I'm talking about systems there on the pitch, but in terms of this sort of modernising the club and and restructuring, standing in conflict with the DNA. I mean, Paul, the club has got to roll with the punches. It's got to change with the times, right? It can't be stuck back in thing. And, and as long as it sticks true to the philosophy. I mean, Liverpool, for example, Liverpool, um, their DNA, they've, they're not playing what they played in 1989 when, you know, 1988-89 was probably their best ever side apart from the, the current one, arguably. They played the best football, but it's not the same style of football. I don't think there'll be that many Liverpool fans who were, who were alive to see both who will be that bothered by that because they'll enjoy both. What I'm saying, it doesn't have to replicate the other as long as it stays true to the principle of entertaining football right I mean as long as we have that and we're winning and we're seeing the young players then um there shouldn't be a conflict right we shouldn't be thinking oh it's it's not united as long as we are trying to entertain them and win things I I look at it and you I think United have to have to change I mean we look at it 
you look at the stadium, the stadium needs modernising, doesn't it? Without, without a doubt. I mean, the great old stadium needs it. It does need a massive change. And it's looking for change on the pitch. But you're just not going to get it 100% as it was under Sir Alex because things have moved on. Every, yeah. The trend has changed. And people would you know, talk about DNA, pedigree, whatever. You have to move on because the personnel now are completely different. The attitude, the mental state of the players who are playing now are completely different to what they were during my time, during the 2000s and the night and the um, the 90s, which I played in, completely different attitudes. So to get those kind of players to play in that kind of way, it's very difficult because the players now are being bred to play in a different way, yeah. completely different way. Everything's it's more about the ball rather than that running off the ball as it yeah. was, as it was in certain ways. But it can get it back again, but you have to you have to build something first for it to and then jump jump back into it. I think Liverpool have done that in a way. You watch the way Liverpool play. Liverpool are very much like that. I sit been watching a lot of old football of late on, on TV, the old games on the big match and that. And I'm looking at Liverpool playing on there with the Kennedys and the Dermots, the Dermots and and they're still and you're watching the way they play now, Liverpool, and they're just, you know, up back through. They're just players who are running on, can't get enough people in the box. United are not playing that way. United used played that way as well. Brian Robson, yeah. Roy Keane, Paul Ince, name to name a few. Even Nicky Butt was running. Nicky Butt would make late runs into the box. And Paul Scholes would find him. There's always those kind of players who would do it. And now it's changed and everything's about the ball now. Everyone wants as many touches as possible because it's good on the stats. Everyone thinks he's had a lot of touches. That deems he's had a good game. But if you actually go to the game and watch that player and then look at the stats, you'll get a better reading yeah. of what you're seeing. And that's the difference now. So United... We can talk about a DNA, but at the moment you have to earn the right. United have to earn the right of anything to be what they foresee themselves as a big club who, who are going to win Premier League titles. And at the moment they're not. And then, you know, they're nowhere near it as much as anything. It's reputation and respect at this moment in time and history, which is keeping them there. You know, and women, you know, there's. There's three teams who are far better than Manchester United, and United are in that clutch of the Tottenham's, the Arsenal's, the West Ham's, the Leicester, fighting for that full spot, in my opinion. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. We've, I think we've said that all along. Um, although we might, I might have been a little bit more optimistic at the start of the season. We did have that reservation. I always had that reservation of the fact that Liverpool and Chelsea were a lot stronger than they showed last season. Um, that United's real position was obviously um, quite different to, to the one that we finished in. Um, to close off, Paul, let's talk about the, the forthcoming games. Presuming it goes ahead, um, there's a doubt about it, about the, the sort of COVID situation at the moment. But um, presuming it goes, can, can I say, yeah, can I say something about that, Wayne? <clears throat> Is that I'm, you know, people might get me wrong here, but I'm not understanding it really. I always think that football now, the one thing when I listen to managers, I listen to football fans, because I don't 
you know, categorise myself as a football fan. I was a football player. I'm not a, <clears throat> I'm not that kind of person who just, I used to, you know, watch a team and a fan of any such, there's any such way. But I'm thinking myself, football now, every manager comes in and talks about squads. I've got a great squad. I've got other players now who are chomping at a bit to come and take that they're, they're, they're proving it to me in training. And when they get the chance, they're going to want it. But when you get a few people who are ill, you want the game called off. Yeah. So when you're in that squad and you're meant to be one of those people knocking on the door and all of a sudden you've got an opportunity to be utilised, utilised, the manager suddenly goes goes to the league or the club doing that, oh, we can't play. I, I really don't get this. Yeah. Call me cynical, but I'm not really having this at the moment in time. It's all football clubs in the Premier League <clears throat> are wasting money if they're going to try and get games called off because they're using what's going on as an excuse not to play games of football, in my opinion. They're, they're, they're letting down fans. Yeah. Norwich had players out with it. Brighton had eight players. They, yeah. you know, they, were, they wanted to play. So is it a big club scenario? Big clubs can call it and they get the games called off because if this game is off tomorrow and I'm meant to, I'm meant to be going yeah. and working at that game, I'm looking forward to it because I've seen Brentford in the Championship and I've watched them a lot this season, and United have got a hell of a game on their hands if they play. So if yeah. they use that, I do not – I want to see United turn up. If I'm Van, if I'm van der Beek, if I'm all those players sitting there, and I'll be saying, oh, I'm going to play against Brentford, I'll be so disappointed, but you want the game off because certain players, key players are not playing. Shouldn't be doing it. The games – clubs should want to play the games because – I believe that we should be aiming for this country, let's just get on with life. And if we're going to keep stopping, it's, it's, it's not going to help us. And football is something that people want to use for positives. But as we've seen in the last two years, there's people who could not wait to use it as a negative football. Football should stand up and be positive and play, regardless. Unless, of course, it's Van der Beek who's injured, who's ill. <laughs> then I'd be yeah, like, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, that, that's the reason then. You, then fair enough then. But then you've got young players. Yeah. You bring in yeah. young players. That's how it was when you had squads of first teams, 16 players. And if you had someone, if you had two or three are injured, you'll go, into, you'll go to the, the group of apprentices, the yeah. Gary Nevilles, the David Beckhams. I'm talking about my time at Manchester United. The Nicky, but you go and bring them in. Yeah. You bring them yeah. in. Yeah. Um, we got a comment there from Red Guitarist again. It says, none of the group that travelled to Norwich tested positive, so that's at least 15 that are available. Yeah. I mean, on the game, Paul, Brentford, I mean, they are a high-energy team. It's a kind of game that United can't get away with being as flat as they were on Saturday, right? Um, because, because, and not only high-energy, that's the sort of default, sort of backhanded compliment you give to any promoted side that does well. They look really good. I watched them against Liverpool earlier in the season and they probably deserved, well, they definitely deserved the draw. Um, but on the other occasions where I've watched them play, they've they've looked really good. Um, and they've certainly got the quality that, um, energy aside, they've got the quality to cause us a lot of problems. Well, I mean, if it, I'm sure there was a lot of um, United fans who watched them on Friday night. And they was never out of that game. I've seen them 
score so many late goals. I've been in that stadium. I must have gone during the the no fan period of no fans in stadium. I must have got. I've been there about what eight times to watch them play. I've seen them score so many late goals. They're never beaten until the referee says they are. And it's, people saw that against Watford. This is a Watford team that outplayed Manchester United. So um, and they and they beat them and they deserve to beat them. In the fact of yes, they scored two late goals, but they deserve to win that game. They're a little bit toothless in certain ways, but they had a lot of the ball. They called, they kept working and working. That team in the end, they crumbled. They crumbled under the pressure. And they're missing key players, key players. Ivan Tony's one of them they're missing. He wasn't playing. Yeah. And Buena, how hard does he work, by the way, up front, almost playing on his own, sucking yeah. people in, shooting from it. It's gonna be a tough, tough game. That stadium is like a, a revitalised Loftus Road. That's what it's like, that stadium. It's in, an incredible stadium, a fantastic stadium. They're built there on the side of that, you know, that Chiswick um, elevated section. It's absolutely brilliant. And, and the, the atmosphere they create is incredible, absolutely incredible. They are hardened fans. That's what they are who are enjoying life in the top division. They can't, cannot believe it, cannot believe it. When I was at QPR, we was playing them in pre-season friendlies when they was in the third or fourth division. You know, it's just absolutely incredible. And I'm pleased for any London side, or especially more so sides from West London, because that's where I played all my football, to be doing really well. And they're doing really well, and they deserve to be where they are. Maybe even a little bit, maybe higher, given that some results have gone against them. They cannot, and I've been speaking to one of their main people I've known for a long time, a big Brentford fan, and he said to me, we, 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 we've been waiting for this game. He said, we have been desperate to play Manchester. And I said, but, but you had Liverpool. He goes, no. He goes, the, the fans want Manchester United. They, 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 want, they, wanted Man- they want Manchester United like they wanted Manchester United at Griffin Park. They're going to be on such a high for this game. It's going to be absolutely immense game. I can't wait to go. I'm not looking forward to going home, by the way, because it's a nightmare place to get out of. So I'm going to have to walk three miles away from there just to get on a train because it's going to be carnage. Yeah, um, yeah, playing this well even after losing Watkins and Ben Rama. Terrific team to watch. They really, really are. And I, I love that about promoted sides um, when they play good football and that they don't just come up and get terrified. They've They've seen the rewards of that, and um, obviously tomorrow aside, I hope that they um, go on to have a great season and, and stay up comfortably, as it looks like they, they will do, considering the start of the season. Um, next up, again, presuming that goes ahead with Brighton's problems, um, Brighton are going to be next weekend, Paul, draw specialists this season, but they they started the season so well, there's like four wins from the first five, and then it's been all these draws with a couple of defeats in. That's the problem with momentum after a run of draws, isn't it? Because you, draws look good as long as they're occupied with wins on either side of them. But if they start to have a few defeats, which it could well be, then the run starts to look a lot worse. Um, it's a tricky one for United. You look at Brighton, and Brighton are such a good team. I'm, I'm at Brighton on Wednesday when they play Wolves. I'm there, but... I look forward to watching them and you're just there. You end up one of them and you get annoyed because you're saying someone could give them a centre forward. 
Yeah. You know, but you look at some Man City, you're thinking, could someone give them a centre forward? So it doesn't matter where you are, what you got in the bank, yeah. everybody just wants that centre forward. If they had someone who could they guarantee them 15 goals a season, then Brighton would be would be competing for a place in Europe. The football they play is in the, is in the top three or four. The opportunities they create is definitely in the top three or four executing those opportunities they're in the bottom three or four yeah. so uh, that's Brighton United have got a tough tough game after Brentford Brentford is going to be physically demanding and this Brighton game will be my will be mentally demanding because of the way they play their football they've got a fantastic manager what he's got and done in his yeah. two jobs since he's come since he's come away from Sweden has been absolutely incredible how he doesn't get mentioned for a top job oh I know why he doesn't get mentioned He's got a UK passport, but um, so you have to turn around and say that's another tough game. That you know, you generally you're saying it's Manchester United, Brentford, Brighton. No, not at this moment in time. And I think there's a few other sides who be the Man Cities, the Liverpool, would witness the fact of these two teams, Brentford and Brighton, and don't underestimate them. No, absolutely not. Brighton have picked up some good results. Did they? Did they drew Anfield lately, so that's a shows the quality of the team, even in that run of draws, um, that they can still go to Anfield and get a draw. Um, yeah, there'll be a couple of tough games for United coming up. Um, by the way, thanks to that question about the DNA earlier, I thought that was really good. Obviously, I like to analyze that side of the club, but that's why I love doing this podcast because then you've got Paul's side of it as a player who talks about the players responsibilities within that and and you never shy away from that Paul you always sort of give the responsibility to the players to sort of stand up and and represent the club in the way that they should be and I think that's um one of the great things about um having you on the pod it's um really good to get that perspective um yeah so Brentford and Brighton hopefully we'll be talking about those games next week if not then I guess there'll be no podcast but we'll see how that goes along um if you've enjoyed the pod, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the show. And if you're watching back on YouTube, uh, please like and subscribe as well. Hopefully we'll be back next week to talk about those games. Stay safe, stay well. Thanks for listening and watching. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.